You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Ephesians. Here's Nate. Well, the Christian believes that a gospel society is a healthy society. Paul had spoken to the Ephesian church about the great position and standing that they each one possessed in Christ Jesus and how Christ had formed them together, shaped them together, and that they were built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, that the church truly is a new humanity, so to speak, a new group of people bought out of this world, redeemed to bring honor and glory uh, to the Lord. And Paul had shared in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are in this new humanity, this church, to submit to one another. We're to regard one another, to care for one another, to bless one another. And at the end of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul expounded on the idea of mutual submission by dealing specifically with roles inside of the marital covenant between a man and a woman, giving direction to the wife and giving direction to the husband, boiling it all down to Ephesians 5 verse 33, where Paul tells wives to respect their husbands and for husbands to love their wives. This is the bottom line of a healthy and God-glorifying and honoring uh, marriage. But how about the family? And that's what Paul gets to in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with the children. And this seems to be the pattern of Paul to start with those who are called to follow and then to speak to the leadership secondarily. That's what he did with the husband and wife. He spoke to the wives first and then spoke in a more lengthy way to the husband's second. And here within the context of uh, parental relationship, he speaks to the children first uh, because they're called to follow and obey their parents. And then he speaks to uh, the fathers and to the parents Secondly, so verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, it should be obvious in the world and culture that we're living in that there is a fracture in the family unit. The family is under attack. I think this is one of the uh, reasons that the subject of homosexuality has gained such traction in our modern world uh, is because the enemy knows subversively that if he can break down the fabric, the definition of, the value of culturally, the family, then he can really bring great harm to a group of people at large. But inside the body of Christ, there's this understanding that there are men and women that come together in covenantal relationship together, certainly some of them through nature through the brokenness of their own bodies uh, perhaps will not be able to have children but the natural norm is that children will come as a result uh, of their love and so paul gives directions first to the children 
Now, immediately, there's the questions that are attached to this exhortation. How long is this exhortation applicable to a, a child? Are they for the duration of their lives uh, until their parents actually die and go home to meet with the Lord? Are they to obey their parents? In other words, a 60-year-old man with an 85-year-old father his 85-year-old father says, hey, come over to my house and cut the grass. Does he have to obey his father in that way? Now, he may choose to honor his father in that way. But I think Genesis 2, verse 24, from, from the very beginning, which dictates that a day will come in the life of a man where he leaves his father and his mother and joins himself to his wife. He leaves them and cleaves to her that day comes, and when that day comes, when they depart, when they leave, uh, the obedience requirement uh, is uh, no longer applicable to them. Once they gain their independence and are able to stand on their own two feet, then obviously the obedience issue to the parents uh, takes a different shape and a different Form. There's an expiration date, so to speak, on this particular exhortation, although honor of parents has no expiration date. Now, as well, there are other exceptions to this command. Uh, brutality, uh, bullying, uh, child abuse, lack of safety, drugs within the home, violence. Uh, these are all reasons that would remove a child from the care of their parents. But, but here Paul is talking about presumed believing parents. Abuse is to be absent. Drugs are to be absent. Violence is to be absent. Brutality, bullying, these things are not to be present in the home. So in a believing home, children are to be obedient to their parents in the Lord. In other words, this is a way for children to demonstrate a respect for the Lord, a love for the Lord, and a way for parents to demonstrate the importance of their own personal devotion to Christ. Well, Paul gives a statement at the end of this exhortation. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Not culturally, traditionally, uh, but this is right because God has declared it. Here's the wonderful thing about obedience from a child to their parents. It ultimately gets a child exactly where they want to go. It prepares them for uh, life. You know, just to be able to be obedient to authority, to understand and learn about authority is such a wonderful concept for a child to grab onto. If in their early age, they understand that there is such a thing authority over them and they learn how to submit to it, they'll be better off in life. The prison system is full of people who could never learn to have any authority except for themselves. And of course, this isn't a problem isolated to those in the prison system. You learn how to be a wonderful leader, a wonderful uh, follower, a wonderful employee, a wonderful business owner, a wonderful parent, a wonderful spouse, a wonderful friend, when you learn how to follow and to follow uh, well. And so uh, Paul exhorts the children, be obedient to your parents and the Lord for this is right.
Now, parents, obviously, the ones who would more often than not be the ones studying the book of Ephesians, need to understand that Paul is saying this in order to create the proper order inside of the home. A false application of this would be to have some kind of uh, brutal expectation of your children. They are, after all, children. However, a right application of this would be to understand that parents are to be the leaders of their homes. I see so many parents that beg and plead and suggest and manipulate and bribe or follow the leadership of their children. Remember, there is a proper order from God. Parents are the leaders. Children are the followers. We live in a world that loves to make everything backwards, and children are often the leaders of the home. Now, he goes on and says in verse 2, to expound on this, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, verse 3, and that you may live long in the land. Now, here to give a reason for their submission to their parents, Paul quotes from the Ten Commandments. He says this is the first commandment with a promise attached to it. If you honor your father and mother, in other words, it will go well with you and you may live long in the land. Now, so Paul here is uh, teaching beyond simple obedience. He's teaching a child to honor their father and their mother. Christ taught us to give honor where honor is due. We can honor all of mankind to some degree because they've been created in the image of God. But a child can honor and respect their parents uh, if for nothing else because of their position. As my mother or as my father, they have a position in my life that no one else will have. And I honor them for that position that has been given to them. They may do well with that position. They may do poorly with that position. But I honor them for the fact that they even hold that permission. And Paul says that when you do, he reminds them of the blessing there of that commandment from Exodus chapter 20. He says, when you do, you will, uh, it will go well with you and you may live long in the land. In other words, you child will be blessed as you honor your parents. This is the rule of thumb. This is the promise of scripture. You know, bitterness and alienation towards your parents can radically hurt your joy, your gladness, your peace. But to honor your parents, there is a blessing that is attached to that kind of life. I remember watching my own father come to a place where he released his dad from uh, some of the things that he had done against him. He forgave his father, uh, in other words for a long pattern and history of drunkenness and neglect of the family. And there was nothing that my grandfather could do to make those things right. He could not go back in time. He eventually received the Lord and there was a wonderful end to the story. But when my father went through the process of forgiving his dad, it had a great long-term impact upon the health of his own soul. And I saw the way that his honor for his father led to uh, life inside of his own heart. It went well with him and he lived long in the land, so to speak. 
And so a child is to obey and honor their parents. Then Paul shifts his attention in verse 4 to uh, the parents. And specifically with the parents, he turns his attention to the fathers. Now, I I know some translations uh, like to say parents uh, in verse 4. But uh, to be accurate, it does speak to the dads who are the leaders within that home. And he says, fathers, verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, obviously, we live in a world and culture where so many children are going to have to learn how to adapt to life without an actual fatherly uh, presence inside of their home. Many children, their biological dad is nowhere to be seen, is no longer involved. This word for fathers uh, means one who stands in a father's place and looks after another in a paternal way. There will be men who become a substitute, good men in the body of Christ who through marriage perhaps gain a wife along with her children and will stand in that place of a father. And there will be single mothers in the body of Christ who are forced to stand in sort of a paternal uh, kind of position and will need to play both roles as difficult as that will be in their lives. But that said, fathers have an incredible importance within the role of the family and inside of the body of Christ. They are leaders over the individual families that God has placed collectively inside of the church. And fathers have to make sure that their role is not relinquished to the mom or to the church or to the school. Fathers have an incredibly important ministry. They're to be in one sense, a refuge for their children. Proverbs 14, verse 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Uh, This world is, is an unsafe place for children. Neglect, abuse, molestation, fornication, uh, and just the lack of innocence in popular culture and media that is targeting our young people, it's important to understand it's not a very safe place for children. Fathers, on the other hand, are to provide a place of refuge for their children. They're also called to define their children, to speak into their lives, to speak over them to define them. And our Heavenly Father, of course, defines us. He says of us that we are justified, that we are uh, redeemed, that we are forgiven, that we are reconciled, that we're adopted unto Him. These are words that He uses to describe those who are covered with the blood of Jesus. And He, he uses to define His children. And I find that kids are safest with a father who fears the Lord, who respects God. And Paul speaks to fathers and he says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not irritate them, in other words. Do not exasperate them. Do not make them bitter. This is First, think about this negative uh, command. You had these perhaps 
domineering fathers in ancient Gentile and, and, and Jewish uh, settings. And Paul speaks to them and says, listen, the gospel needs to change you. You're not to be a domineering father or man. You're to be a servant. You're to be a blessing. And one way that you are to uh, keep yourself from provoking your children to anger is by encouraging them. Uh, one great way to provoke your child to anger is through a hypocritical life. To say with your words what you want for your children to be, but to, to refuse to live that in your own life. To profess to your children, hey, it's important to go to church, but not to be a church-going man yourself. To be negligent in your duties in the body of Christ. To uh, say to your children that you want them to be kind, but to be unkind yourself. Children will see rather easily these inconsistencies in your life. Now, you will fail. You will need to apologize. But in general, they should see a trend of obedience unto the Lord. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says that the righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. The way you treat your spouse, uh, the way that you provide, uh, the way that you handle mistakes and sin in your life, the way that you apologize, this will stand out to your children. Apologizing without excuse is going to be a great blessing to your children. Another way to discourage your children is to, to refuse to delight in them. Proverbs 3 verse 12 says, The Lord repro reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. He delights. Now you're not to operate with favoritism towards your children or to compare them negatively to one another. But you're to listen to them. Give them affection. Uh, speak into their lives words of encouragement and discipline your children. Without discipline, your children will be provoked to anger, setting unrealistic standards over them. Uh, make sure that you give them uh, godly, balanced discipline in their lives. Don't overprotect them. Don't discipline them excessively. Don't be angry as you di discipline. But an absence of discipline uh, will lead to great anger in the life of your child. He says, secondly, though, in verse 4, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are called as fathers to bring up our children. That means to nourish them up to maturity, to nurture them. You know, when a child is born, they have not arrived. They've, they're on the scene now, but they have a lot of work that needs to be done, and they will not get there automatically. You are called to actually be the one to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to give them the Word of God, to nurture them uh, in uh, Scripture. And the Bible is filled with many examples of, of godly fathers who uh, for some reason, loved the Lord, honored the Lord, but failed to really bring that discipline, that nurture, that word of God into their family environment. And it led to great catastrophe uh, in their lives. I would encourage you to raise up your children in the instruction of the Lord. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the command was given to the parents in Israel 
that they should teach the word of God to their children. He says in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6, You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And I love each one of those four places that the word of God is to be delivered. When you're sitting in your house, you know, for me, this happens mostly at the breakfast table and sometimes at the dinner table. At moments when we have a chance to just sit, I can open up the Bible and share with them and and talk to them of God's word. Right now, I'm taking them just bit by bit, piece by piece, through the book of Mark, through the life of Christ. And when you're walking by the way, he says, you know, as you're just kind of living life, as you're driving around in the minivan and, and uh, you know, pointing different things out, you can give to your children a Christian worldview. And when you lie down, you know, to just hear from your children as you're putting them to bed, to hear their hearts, to hear their perspectives. And when you rise, you know, to begin the day in the word of God, it's an important thing to do to instruct your children in the ways of the Lord. Uh, this is not a position that a friend takes. This is a position a father takes or a parent takes. Now in verse 5, Paul moves on and he talks about a second area. He had talked about husbands and wives and, and here in chapter 6, which we covered at length, he talked to children and parents or children and fathers. But in verse 5, he shifts and he begins to speak to servants and masters. He says in verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers. Now this exhortation is absolutely dripping with the gospel because here's Paul with the boldness to take up divinely inspired space to speak to the slave. This was a huge step culturally. Now Paul was writing to and in a backdrop of slavery. Some suggest that over 50% of the population in the Roman Empire was enslaved. They were the backbone, the foundation of the Mediterranean economic life. And many of these slaves were highly educated, physicians, lawyers, uh, teachers. And it was a horrible kind of thing. Aristotle said that the slave is a living tool just as a tool is an inanimate slave. He said, slaves are tools with souls. So they were a bought and sold commodity. Uh, some slaves ran away. There were harsh conditions. Some of them were treated uh, very cruelly, barbarically. And uh, even though that wasn't the widespread sort of practice. And so there are questions as to why didn't Paul come out and more strongly condemn slavery uh, than he did. Here he just speaks to the slaves. He'll speak to the masters. Well, I think in one sense, we have to remember that uh, in American history, the slavery of African Americans was worse, far worse than that uh, in the Roman and the Greek uh, culture at the time of Paul. But there were probably some pragmatic reasons that Paul didn't uh, come out against 
slavery in a, in a stronger, uh, more forward kind of way. Christianity was just a very minor voice. They weren't out to change things uh, politically. They weren't a major part of the Roman society. And there were probably some circumstantial reasons as well. Uh, there's some evidence that Romans were beginning to grant freedoms to their slaves and that slave conditions were improving. But I think the big reason that Paul didn't do it is because of gospel reasons. I think in his mind, the gospel was a slow, lethal injection, uh, which would eventually undermine slavery slowly but surely. As the, as the gospel advanced, in other words, people began to see other human beings with a greater respect than ever before. And so Paul here begins to speak to the bond servants, and he tells them to obey their masters. Now, amazingly, this exhortation that Paul gives to uh, Christian slaves is often neglected even by Christian employees. Of course, not even a slave, but as a worker, unable to obey uh, their masters. We're to be uh, great employees. We're to be very faithful. He tells these slaves to obey with fear and trembling. This, this is a scriptural metaphor for respect and care, uh, to have a wonderful attitude when you go to work. And as a Christian, when you go to work, there should be a, a pleasant attitude. There should be a, a team attitude, a desire to work. There should be a real uh, you know, strength of character as you show up to work. He said in verse 5, with a sincere heart, you know, without pretension or phoniness, without hypocrisy and kissing up to the boss, something real and a, a sincere heart. Not with, he says, verse 6, eye service. This l literally means eye slavery. And, uh, you know, slaves had little motivation to work hard when they were unsupervised. But Christian employees should be so diligent at every moment, uh, not serving as people pleasers, but as bondservants, verse 6, of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, Paul says in verse 6. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. So how can you get a little bit of motivation for your job and the task that's in front of you? Well, think of yourself not as a servant of your employer, but as a servant of Christ, and that in that place of work, you are doing the will of God from the heart. You're doing it as to the Lord, he says in verse 7, and not to uh, man. Uh, Joseph, of course, in Genesis 39, is a great example of a, a faithful, believing worker. He was a faithful man. He blessed everything around him. He was trustworthy. And some jobs in this life are thankless. No one's going to stop and say thank you. And so to be a person who receives their thanks from the Lord, be motivated by this, verse 8, that any good that you do, you will receive back from the Lord. He's going to reward you for the thing that you have done. Now Paul says in verse 9, he has a short, brief, strong word to the masters. He says, masters, do the same to them, reciprocate, in other words, 
and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. These masters and modern-day believing employers are to give to their employees everything that they've got, to praise them, to affirm them, to speak directly to them, to be clear with them, and to pay them, to pay them as well as you can, a wage that befits the work that they have done. He says in verse 9, Masters, stop your threatening. Uh, you know, and in that culture with slaves, it was uh, death itself that they were threatening them with. Literally, this means to loosen up. There are better ways to motivate. Ownership and passion and kindness and thoughtfulness motivate an employee far better than threatening could uh, motivate them. Knowing uh, that their master and yours is in heaven. He is watching over you. He sees the way that you lead uh, your people. And he, there's no partiality with him. And so to be a servant leader, a servant master. The gospel, an incredibly practical word. Changing families, changing even work, cultures and environments. Gets down into the, the fabric of who we are. Uh, in Christ Jesus. We ought to be different by the blood of Christ. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.